do what I can to, to step in and it's big shoes to fill. But uh, we're going to be, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, if you'll go ahead and turn there with me. Um, the last few times I have been able to preach, y'all have probably blocked this out of your mind, but I have uh, preached usually from a letter from Paul. Uh, last time we did Acts, and, and it's, it's something about Paul is usually the main character. And, you know, Paul's a, he's a seminary learned guy. He's the intellect. He's the one that uh, sat under the who's who in Jewish rabbi teaching and, 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 and learned all the tricks. He, he knew the apologetics. He knew the systematic theology. He, he enjoyed all the, the different languages, a little bit like Dr. Allen. He was kind of like the geek that knew the Greek and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, if he's watching TV, you know, he's watching Jeopardy. He's watching the History Channel. Uh, he's just he's just a nerd. Uh, Peter, on the other hand, I can relate to. Amen. You know, Peter in Acts, Acts chapter four, Peter was described as an unlearned and ignorant man. Um, he got his degree like so many of us did in the school of hard knocks. Um, in fact, uh, in, in Second Peter chapter three, one of the last things he says in his in his in his second uh, letter was, "I don't understand a lot of the things that Paul says." Um, <laughs> You know, he breaks it down to where I can appreciate it. You know, he's a, he's a fisherman. Um, instead of systematic theology, we, we might call it Bubba theology. If he's watching TV, it's Sports Center, it's Deadliest Catch. You know, that's Peter. He, he would, he'd be the one in the gospel that would just say something stupid and put his foot in his mouth, you know, and it's just, God love him. But it goes to show you that God can use anybody to do something amazing for the kingdom of God. You look at this letter, and it's profound, actually, what he says at the beginning of his letter. Uh, what words of encouragement he has for the people of God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, called these first few verses in, 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 in 1 Peter chapter 1 a string of pearls. At a time when the people of God uh, back then were, were having troubles in this world, Facing various persecutions, facing various hardships, trying times. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? You know, if we had an open mic time and we just passed it around and everybody just shared different things that they've been going through, I, there wouldn't be a dry eye in this room. You know, Sarah and I love watching TV shows like uh, Dual Survivor, where they just drop two guys out in the wilderness and they got to find their way to civilization. And one of the first things they do is they are, are going for the highest peak or hill or mountain or climbing a tree to get a greater vantage point so they can see more clearly. And that's what Peter is doing here in, first, in chapter 1. He, he's going to give you the, the bird's eye view from up here. So we get a, a different perspective of, of the trying times and the, and the, and the trials and the, and, the, and the hardships that we're going through so we can kind of see it more from God's point of view, having, having an eternal point of view, right? This morning I want to talk to you about the subject of living and hope. Let's start in verse 1 in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens... Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. 
May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Not bad for a fisherman, is it? From the get-go in verse 1, Peter wants to, he, he recognizes it. He, he, he acknowledges it when he says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout all these regions. The reality is that we do live in a hostile world. There's a reason why the people of God are scattered. You, you remember in, um, in, the, in the book of Acts, the, the Lord Jesus, he gives the great commission. You will be, uh, go make disciples in all nations, baptizing them, right? Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But where does the church gather? They stay in Jerusalem. It's not until persecution comes when they kill Stephen that then a great persecution broke out and the church scatters. The reason why they're scattering in verse 1 is because it's trying times. It's a hostile world. Isn't that what Jesus promised us? That in this, in this world you will have tribulations, but to take heart, I've overcome the world. Anyone else find it more difficult to live in the country we love? I anyone else find like maybe this is not the, 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 I, I just not, I'm not fitting in like I used to. My thoughts, my views are harder to share without being called intolerant, hateful. So they're scattered. We live in a hostile world. But Peter wants you to know in verse 1 as well that you're precious. How do, you, how do we know that? That the Lord thinks that you're precious? Verse 1, he says, who are chosen? You may be scattered this morning, but the Lord wants you to know that you are his chosen people, chosen by the Father, according to his foreknowledge is what it says. You know, what, what naturally comes into our minds when we go through tough times, right? Maybe this is just me. Lord, do you even care? Lord, do you even love me? And Peter, right in the first, first verse, lets you know, yes. You are precious to the Lord. 
You are, he says it again in 1 Peter, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Not only are you chosen by the Father, but look at, at verse 2 as it keeps going. You are redeemed by the Son. Peter's just reminding us of our, of our blessings, of, of, of what we were talking in Sunday school this morning, of how, how we should be thankful and how we're thankful for salvation. Thankful that you're chosen by the Father, that you've been redeemed by the Son, that you've been purchased not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the costliest, most valuable thing you will ever find, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you have been bought with the price you are not your own. You're chosen by the Father. You're redeemed by the Son. And you're sanctified by the Spirit. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood is what it says. You know, Peter, and he doesn't have the seminary degree, but this is what he's saying. As far as God the Father is concerned, I was his when the Father chose me according to the foreknowledge of God. As, the, as, as far as the Son is concerned, I was his when he purchased me on that cross 2,000 years ago. But as the, the Spirit of God, as far as he's concerned, let me put, let, let me, put me into the... I was his when my youth pastor, Doug Humanez gave an invitation on a Wednesday night. And he said, with every eye closed and every head bow, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, raise your hand. And as a 16-year-old kid, it wasn't perfect, but I, I took a, a step of faith. And I became his. We were so helpless and hopeless from Peter's understanding that it took all three persons of the Trinity to accomplish our salvation. The reality is we live in a hostile world, but we are precious to the Lord. And not only are we precious to the Lord, we are pilgrims in the land. We are pilgrims in the land. That word, uh, anyone find it odd? It says aliens. Your, your translation may say sojourner, pilgrims. Anyone read Pilgrim's Progress before? I read that to Ann and Kay, and I was just starting to cry like a little baby, you know. And, and the, the Pilgrim's Progress, the full title is The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which is to Come. You know, what that means is we are looking for a city which has foundations whose builder and architect is God. What a wor word right here. For Christians in America today, that your homeland really is heaven, that your citizenship in heaven is actually trumps your citizenship in the United States of America, even though we love this country, right? Heaven is our homeland, and we are just temporary aliens, pilgrims that are passing through. I think sometimes that uh, we Christians, we, we struggle with how to be in the world, but not be of the world. You know what I'm saying? Dean and Sarah, my friend, he put it this way. He said, people have no, choo no trouble choosing heaven over hell. That's not a problem. The problem they have is choosing heaven over earth. 
We are pilgrims, sojourners, and the reality is we live in a hostile world which is not our home. There's another reality, though, in verse 3. And that reality is that we have been born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You can go ahead and underline it. We have been born again by the great, abundant mercy of God. When none of God's other attributes would have helped us, his mercy came through. Mercy is his undeserved favor. There is not a person in this room who deserves to be born again. Right? But look what his mercy produced in us in, in verse 3. Born again to a living hope. This isn't a I, I hope so, I hope this happens kind of hope. This is, a, this is the kind of hope that once it's yours, it fuels the way you live. It means that you have been placed into that, that sphere of a bucket of hope. And it's a, it's a living hope. It's, it's, it's growing. It's, it, it, as you get older, does it not? It increases as you get older. As you get closer and closer to the realization of this hope, it's growing stronger. This kind of hope has, a, has the same effect on you spiritually like if you drank 10 Red Bulls. Right? Once you're full of this kind of hope, you'll never quit running the race of faith. When you're, when you're full of this kind of hope, you'll never take your eyes off the prize. You can beat the Apostle Peter up. You can throw him in jail. You can crucify his wife in front of him, which they did. And then the next day, crucify him upside down, and this hope never dims. Because this hope rose up with Christ when Christ rose from the dead to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a living hope because Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. It means Jesus has won. It means that death and sin have been undone. It means all sad things will come untrue. It means that no matter what, our best days as believers are always ahead of us. Now, you have not lived your best life now, and you won't live your best life now until you see him. Amen. Peter's point is this. Living hope fuels us for godly living. It causes people who are watching you to say, what is different about you? Give me a reason for the hope that you have. And this is the reason for the hope that you have. Well, I've been born again to a living hope by the mercy of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, it's not some kind of tough apologetic to figure out. That's the reason we have hope. And that's why it takes Peter all the three verses to bust out praising the Lord and saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like we did in Sunday school this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't pra praise God only when things in our life are going well. 
We bless. Did Job do that? Though the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We praise God because we know that the best is yet to come, even though we currently live as pilgrims. So it's Grace Church, let's praise God for our future inheritance. Look at verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You see, this, this future inheritance, Peter starts describing it. In verse 3, it's, he says it's prompted by God. That you have been born again, you have, it says according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. Now, how do I reconcile that? You know what? Verse 23, in the same chapter, it says, you have been born again by the living and enduring word of God. Romans 10 says, by, 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 by hearing the word, faith comes from hearing the word of God. How all that works, I don't know. But he's caused us to be born again through the living and enduring word of God. I know this, uh, it's been prompted by God. I know this, it is, it is guarded by the power of God. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You ever play uh, paper, rock, scissors, scissors with your kids? You know, Ann and Kate love it when I do this. They're, they're one, two, three, and they do a rock, and I just want to go ahead and end it. And so I just say, God force field. Because what is more powerful than the power of God? Right? I mean, that's just nothing. The game over. They just, you know, they don't have anything on that. Bazooka, grenade, it doesn't matter. God force field wins. And I, and I was thinking, thinking about this. You know, when, when, they, when they laid Jesus in the tomb, you know what Pilate said? Guard the tomb. Make it as secure as you can. Now, these Roman soldiers, these are not guys you want to mess with. They, they think that probably there was uh, a garrison, so like 16 Roman soldiers that are guarding the tomb of Jesus out there. And here's, here's, the, here's the Roman rule. One Roman soldier falls asleep. Not only does he die, all 16 of them die. This is serious business. They didn't just rule the world because they were a bunch of wimps. Guard it, make it as secure as you can. You have, they, 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 they put the seal on the tombstone, meaning if you move the tombstone, you'll be put to death. It says in the Bible that at dawn, you know, hold on, and think about, what do you think God's in heaven? Well, uh. really secure guys how many angels should we send it says at dawn one angel descended from heaven and there was this great earthquake and this one angel rolls the tombstone back and all those tough guys those Roman soldiers fall over like dead men it says and he's sitting on the, on the tombstone because there's some sweet ladies who are going to mourn and honor the body of Jesus. And he tells them, 
He's not here. Now, y'all, y'all understand the angel didn't open up the tomb to let Jesus out. He opened up the tomb to show you that he's already gone. Nothing is more powerful than the power of God. If we've learned anything in, in, in Mark's gospel, with one word, Jesus muzzles demons. With one word, he, he causes the winds and the waves to, 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 to cease, to obey. The God who spoke the entire universe into existence by his power, how secure do you think your inheritance is? When it's being guarded by his power. And you know why I think that's good news? Anyone else prone to wonder and leave the God they love? Anybody else struggling with their walk with Christ? Anybody else ever struggle? Am I really saved? I mean, I, I think I'm a Christian, but do Christians really struggle with sin like this? I've been there. You just don't even know if you're saved or not. Look what it says. Who are guarded? In verse 5, who are protected. It's a, it's a present tense verb. It means it's, it's ongoing right now that the God of heaven is guarding your faith. Constantly. Now, if that doesn't give you assurance, I don't know what will. You might have 99 problems, but if you are born again, losing your salvation isn't one of them. Because once you are born again, you can't be unborn. Because you're being guarded by the power of Almighty God. And not only that, is he keeping you safe and guarding your faith on this side of the veil? Look what it says in verse 4. Not only, um, it, it says it's, this inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. He's guarding it in both places. And on earth and in heaven. It's kept secure in the place of God. You can't ruin it if you wanted to. I've, I've heard one pastor say, if, if you could lose your salvation, you would. And in verse 4, Peter tells us that this inheritance is, is imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. you just think about this inheritance for a second. If heaven is paving its streets with gold, how valuable is this inheritance? If, if, if gold's just like pavement. And Dr. Allen would be, he'd be so proud of Peter because if you, if you, if you read Greek like Dr. Allen does, th those three words that he uses to describe our inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, Peter uses alliteration. So it's like getting one of Dr. Allen's outlines, and it's all starting with the same word, right, that he's kind of even taught me how to do. Uh, and so, so Peter's using the same letter when he says imperishable, undefiled, it will not fade away. And, and, and he finds it hard to describe, uh, this vast inheritance, to describe it, that he has to 
basically say what it's not. It's not imperishable. It's not, it, it doesn't fade away. It, 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 it's not, you, you can't defile it. Our inheritance in Christ is, 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 is imperishable, meaning it is death-proof. It's undefiled, meaning it is sin-proof. And it's unfading, meaning it is time-proof. This hope that Peter is talking about, the Lord's offering it to us today. That no matter your problems, no matter your trials, you have a guaranteed inheritance that is awaiting you. William Barclay, he wrote, he put it this way. It is one of the basic facts of life that what that a man can endure anything in this life so long as he has something to look forward to. Hope. Christians with a living hope, they look forward to their future inheritance and they're able to praise God all day long because they have this living hope. And not only are they able to praise God for their future inheritance, they're able to praise God in the midst of fiery trials. In verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Now, what's a trial? A trial, they're painful, and you may want to put all caps there. They're painful circumstances allowed by God to change my conduct, like what I do, or my character, who I am. Painful circumstances that God allows me to walk through. Spurgeon put it this way, there is no university for a Christian like that of sorrow and trial. Trials are God's seminary. God is putting you through tests. God is testing your faith. He's evaluating the authenticity of your faith. And for a guy like Peter, he had his fair share of them, did he not? Trials, I mean, think of deep sorrow, devastating news. They're not easy. They're grieving. They'll break your heart. But look, it, it helps if we know a little bit about why trials why do the people of God, why do we look and it seem like the people of this world are enjoying life and, and the people of God are just suffering? Is it just me or does some of the godliest people you know, it just looks like they just go through trial after trial after trial? And maybe that's why they're the godliest people I know. Trials in verse 6, look what it says, if necessary. You know what that tells me? They're necessary. They're required. There's a time in our life, special times, when God knows we need to go through a trial. That's why James chapter 1, what Miss Sandra read this morning, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. You know what, what changed my life is when I understood what endurance meant. 
This word, your, 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 your Bible, it may say patience there in James chapter 1. But the Lord is, is, is putting us through trials so that our faith develops endurance. Endurance is this quality that you need to finish a marathon race. That without it, you'll tap out. You need it to receive this inheritance. I think about in the, in the Old Testament when the Lord, uh, in his wisdom, you know, he, he delivers the Israelites from Egypt. And he's taking them to the promised land in Exodus, right? And they could have taken the route by the sea, which it would have taken two weeks for them to get from where they were to the promised land. But it took 40 years. Which tells me it's just not about us from getting from this point A to point B in heaven. There's some, something that has to happen in between then. Right? Now, this is, this is what the Bible says. The Lord, the reason why they didn't take the quickest route, it says the Lord wanted to test his people to see what was in their hearts. To see what was in their hearts. Now, now listen, the Lord is... He's not learning anything new. Jack, he knows what's in your heart. Mr. Cliff, he knows what's in your heart. The trials reveal to us what's in our hearts. The trials show us what we really love, what we really idolize, what our heart's affections really want. That's what the trials are for. So he sends them into the wilderness, and a two-week trip took 40 years because God is in the business of not just taking people somewhere, but in the midst of taking them somewhere, maturing, perfecting, strengthening, preparing, producing an endurance in them that if they didn't have, they would not make it all the way home. Does that make sense? Next. Trials are, are, are required, but they're, they're relegated. And I know some, some of us are probably thinking, what does relegated mean? I just needed an R word. Um, <laughs> seasonal, temporary, they cease. Maybe in this life, maybe not. But definitely they cease by the, ne the next life. Salvation is permanent. Trials are temporary. This momentary light affliction will return for us an eternal weight of glory, is what Paul says. Momentary, light affliction. How long do trials last? Uh, Warren Wearsbury is one of my favorite too, Mr. Cliff, and this is what he said. When God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. If we rebel, he may have to reset the clock. But if we submit... He will not permit us to suffer one minute too long. They're temporary. Trials uh, are required. Trials refine our faith. Next. Verse 7, so that, that's a purpose clause. Anytime you see the so that in your Bible, that's the purpose. That's the reason why it's there. Trials refine our faith. 
so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a saying that the, in, in the Eastern goldsmith at this time, when they were, when they were you know, putting their ore into the fire, you ask yourself, well, how long did the trials last? Well, they would put their ore in the fire until they could look and see their own reflection in the heated up metal, is what they say. Then they would take it out. Because if you're a goldsmith, listen, this, this ore is precious to you. You don't want to just ruin your gold. You're going to keep it in the fire just long enough to burn the impurities out and then take it out. Otherwise, you ruin your blade, right? So when you start reflecting the glory of Christ, when you start uh, reflecting the character of Christ and the beauty of Christ, that's when the trial's going to end. No goldsmith will waste his precious ore. I love this quote. It says, like a skilled dentist, God is just drilling away the decay in our lives. Leaving the good tooth behind. Hopefully. But my point is, there is a purpose in your pain. Your sufferings are producing something. And what is it? You keep going in verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. God refines us so that we love Jesus more. And let me tell you why it's important for you to love Jesus. Some of our favorite verses that we throw around a lot. Right? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord Jesus, who love him. God refines us through trials, not so that we become angry with him and sit on the pew and pout. He refines us so that we love the Lord Jesus more. Grace Church, I've got one simple question for you this morning. Though you can't see him, do you love Jesus? I mean, do you love the Lord Jesus? He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And can I speak to you from a pastor's heart for just a minute? It is quite easy to see God's people who are growing in love for the Lord Jesus and those whose love is diminishing for the Lord Jesus. Is it not? One of my mentors put it this way. There's two ways to see what you believe. One is what, what we say. One is with how we live. One of those ways that never lies. What is it that you will do for King Jesus that you will not do for anybody else? Kind of like I think about Dane and 
Dr. Allen, and I remember Dr. Allen posing me that question when, you know, he's a homebody. He's like me. He likes to sit on his couch with Louie and have the air conditioned and sleep in a nice comfy bed with all the amenities that the United States of America offers. And why in the world would he get on this plane, fly six hours to the jungles of Brazil where places don't have air conditioned on the equator, burn up, get attacked by mosquitoes all night? It's hard, isn't it, Dane? Why would you do that, Dr. Allen? Because I love the Lord Jesus. That's the only reason. That's the only reason I'll do that. What will you do for King Jesus that you will not do for anybody else? God, he refines us so we love Jesus more. And verse 8 keeps going. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. He also refines us so that we will lean on Jesus more. Right? So that you believe in him, that you will trust in him, that you will lean on him. My brother-in-law, uh, that, I don't think y'all know this brother-in-law, he's in Jacksonville. Uh, about when I was in college, he was a missionary in, in Africa. And things didn't go well. He came home discouraged. There was a point in time, this missionary, he like stopped going to church, just was going through the motions of his faith, right? Uh, me, and, me and my wife, we get married, and, and we're, we're trying to, you know, how can we encourage Brian? How, you know, I, for, for Christmas, you, usually a, you give him somebody a, a present that, okay, here's a, here's a gift card. He'll like that. Here's a book on, you know, a Christian walk. He probably won't like that, but I'm going to tape the, the gift card to the book and put a note in the book, right? Maybe he'll read it. This is what he tells me later. You know, he opens it up and he's like, oh, Christmas time, thank you. Yeah. He said, I had no intention of reading that. And he did it for four years. He said, at one point, I, this is what he told me later, I picked it up. It was, it was a book by David Platt, by the way, called Radical. That is very, very convicting and it'll ruin your life. Don't read it if you don't want your life to stay as it is. I, I, read, I, read, I started reading the first chapter, and I said, no way, and threw it over here in the corner, he said. Four years later, me and my wife are watching a movie, and I get, she, her phone's getting blown up, and it's like, hey, can John talk to Brian right now? And so I leave the movie theater and go out, and I'm talking to him for, like, the next, I don't know. He's crying in the middle of Lifeway. John, I just finished that book, and I need to know what Bible translation you have. I need to know what other books I need to read. What is my next step? God has just grabbed his heart. And he's, he's not the same guy. He's still not the same guy. But you know what happened in the middle of all that? He wasn't going to church. I mean, you just you, you question this missionary. Is he really even a believer anymore? I mean, I don't know anymore is the right word to say. Is he really ever a believer is kind of what you would say, right? There was, he was driving down the road with his family, and a girl on her cell phone was texting and ran into him head on, and it about killed him. 20-something surgeries later, he's still not right. Chronic pain, angry at God, depressed. That's when about gave him the book by the way, 
once he started seeing how God had pursued him, how precious he was to him, uh, that, 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 that God uses trials to stop you from where you're going and to bring you back and to give you an endurance, to bring it all. It, it opened his eyes to a whole new world. He pulled me to the side. He said, this is how he views that trial now. God lovingly threw a car in front of me. God uses trials so that we will lean on him more. And if we're not leaning on him, he'll bring something that will break you down so that you will. He will. He'll break your heart to save your soul. And lastly, God, God refines our faith so that we will love him more, so that we will lean on Jesus more. And lastly, so we will leap for inexpressible joy more. That word in verse 8, greatly rejoice, is really translated with much leaping. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. In the middle of the sermon, kind of like this, all of a sudden, someone would get in the aisle, and they'd start, like, dancing and leaping down. Miss Myra, right? I didn't know how biblical that really was until I read this passage here. Much leaping for inexpressible joy. How do you know if you have a hope that is living? You know, it, it, a distinguishing mark that you are born again. God in his manifold wisdom, he has made a, a way for this world to see that Mr. Bodurham, he is a sojourner. And that he is precious to me. And he has found a way to mark him so that it makes him completely distinct. Even though he lives in this world, he is not of this world. You know what that distinction is? Some, some churches think it's, it's uh, okay, ladies, none of you can wear makeup. And you need to wear skirts that go all the way past your ankles. We don't want to see any skin. You know, and they, and they come up with all these crazy ways to distinct the people of God. I don't think that's it. How do you know that you have a living hope, according to Peter? That in your deepest valleys, in your crushing trials, you are marked by inexpressible joy. It, it doesn't mean that you don't grieve. It doesn't mean that you don't hurt. You do. But in the midst of that, the presence of God and the hope of God fill your heart so much that you just say, I don't know why I have this joy that I have. No other person on this planet can say that. That's what only born-again Christians who are filled with the Spirit of God can say. That even though my heart is broken, it's filled with hope and joy. Count it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials. That's what makes you, what Peter says, a peculiar people. It's how you respond to trials. So what if God chooses not to heal you, but to hold you instead? 
What, what if that marriage that you find yourself in is, is, is unfulfilling right now and it never gets better? What, what if, if, if that lonely season of singleness, it's, 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 it's for the rest of, your, of this life? What if that job promotion never comes? Grace Church, do you still have something to rejoice about? Our greatest opportunity oftentimes to be a witness for Christ is not up on the mountaintops, it's in the valleys. Peter's point is this, living hope, it fuels us for godly living and it proves that we have faith. It, it, it causes people who are watching Mr. Cliff and Miss Myra. Listen, they had, they had we, we went over and ate lunch with them. It wasn't just us. They had th- three other families there. While both of them, not one, both of them battling cancer, opening their home to serve and feed other, other folks. That's something that this lost world, hey, when, when a family adopts a little, little boy, an orphan boy with HIV, he's HIV positive. There's, there's things that, that Christians do that just baffle this world. Why in the world do you do that? Why in the world do you live that way? And if you ask them, this past year, the cancers, they've had a lot more trials than that. And you ask them, what's the reason for the hope that you have in these trials? And probably with tears welling up in their eyes, this is what they'll say. We have been born again to a living hope by the mercy of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. That, I'm telling you what, to a lost and dying world, that authentic, I can't say that word, that proves <laughs> their faith. That's a, that's a hope that your lost friends and family members will find very attractive. They're going to want that. They're going to want what you have. And lastly, trials, they, 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 re, they refine our faith, and trials, they result in rewards. They result in rewards. Start in verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found... To result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him and greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter does something amazing here. He describes the outcome of your faith which is the salvation of your soul, he describes it as the same thing as the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning, 
This, the salvation of your soul isn't just to walk on streets of gold. The salvation of your soul isn't just to have your sins forgiven. It's more than that. The salvation of your souls, according to an unlearned, ignorant, simple-minded man that I've learned to appreciate, is to see Jesus with your own eyes. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It means the appearing of Jesus Christ. When you see him for, who we, for what he is and who he is, and you become like him, Grace Church, your living hope, your inheritance that is more valuable, the reason why they paved the streets of heaven with gold, your inheritance is so valuable because it's actually a person. He is your living hope. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, Fanny Crosby had it right. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Matthew 5, 8 puts it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, is that a great statement or what? You know, I look at some of the, the, the Old Testament saints, and this is the living hope that they had. Listen to King David. Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Oh, Job. Job suffered a little bit, didn't he? Oh, Job had a living hope. Job 19, verse 25 through 27. But as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon this earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. My question is, Grace Church, do we all have this living hope? The things of this earth will grow strangely dim if we do. How cool would it have been to be Fanny Crosby, who wrote that Blessed Assurance song? You know, she was born blind. She wrote 8,000 hymns. How cool was it? When she took her last breath, never seen anything in her life, and the first thing that she ever saw was Jesus Christ. What will the Lord say to his people when you see him? You see this in verse... Um, 7, when it says may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is praise and glory and honor that Jesus Christ is bestowing on his people. It's that, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter your master's joy. He puts this crown on your head so that you'll have something to throw back at his feet. 
Joni uh, Erickson Tata. I don't know if you've, everyone's heard of her. Uh, she's an incredible lady. Uh, still living, still ministering. Uh, talk about a trial. When she was 17 years old, got in a diving accident and was paralyzed from the shoulders down. She wrote this book on, called Heaven. She painted the cover of it with her teeth, holding a paintbrush. All right? Goes around, conference speaker, just, oh, the fruit that she's had for King Jesus in this, in this life. Paralyzed from the shoulders down since 17. She was asked, what is the first thing you're going to do in heaven when you receive your resurrected legs? What are you going to do when you're made whole again? You know what she said? I'm going to fall to my resurrected knees. And not move. And worship Jesus. She, said, she went on to say, I find it so touching that finally at the point when I do have the, I, I regain the use of my arms, that I won't even have to dry my own tears because God in heaven will wipe away my tears. You see, John, the disciple, he's the apostle of love. Paul, the, the, the apostle, he's the, he's the apostle of faith. Peter, Peter is the apostle of hope. Grace Church, let's be hopeful and live with great expectations that as believers we have a living hope because we, we trust a living Christ who is not preparing us for this life. He's preparing us for the life to come. And as we close, the praise band's going to come and sing one last, one last song and the question I have for you today, you, you do not have this living hope. Have you been born again? If not, we, myself, Mr. Cliff, Mr. Collin, we'll, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you that how, how you could take a step of faith. Won't be easy, but he will be with you every step of the way. I love how this section of verses is when Peter then says, this is what the angels of heaven look into. This leaves, this salvation that Jesus Christ gives, really, the gospel is just reconciling you to a person. It leaves the angels in heaven slack-jawed. What great mercy. Would you stand with me? Father God, we come before you to, to say, blessed be the God and heaven of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you are so good, and we thank you for your great mercy. And we pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now that does, has never experienced your mercy, God, that you will open the door of mercy to them right now and cause them to be born again. Father God, I, I pray for those who, who are yours. I, will, I pray that you would let them know that you, they are precious in your sight and that they are pilgrims 
on this earth. That you've made them for eternity. Give them a new perspective, Father God. Give them a living hope. And most of all, we praise your mighty name, God, that you would be glorified. We love you. Help us to lean on you more. And help us in the midst of our trials to have joy. We ask this in your holy name we pray. Amen. upon the praises of a thousand generations you are worthy lord of all unto you the slain and risen king we lift our voice with heaven singing worthy
going to fall in the praises of a thousand generations. You are worthy, Lord of all. Unto you, the slain and risen King, we lift our voice with heaven, singing worthy, Lord of praises of a thousand generations you are worthy lord of all unto you the slain and risen king we lift our voice with heaven singing worthy lord of all thrown upon the praise of a thousand generations 